Hi, I'm Rory Pickernese, and you're listening to Drinking and Dressing, Toro with a Twist. And I can be quick and witty, I just need a few more minutes to think of something. Hey, Kate. Hey, Amanda. I know it's weird, but I'm pretty sure we're the only ones here. It is kind of quiet. I mean, have you seen Gabery Dom? No. Do you know how to run a podcast? I think so. I know how to edit a podcast. Do, do you think we can fake it? Oh, yeah. Okay, like, hear me out. We have a really good guest today. So do you think that, like, our listeners will be, like, excited because it's her debut and it's your debut? Oh, there are so many reasons to be excited. Yeah, I think so, too. Do you think we should get started? Yeah, let's get started. Okay. So should the sting go? I am super excited to be back after being away for a little bit of time. But that's okay because things happen. And in return, um, my partners in podcasting have both gone off to celebrate their own Simchas this week, which is fine, I guess. But wait a minute, like, I don't know if I got left by myself, but I don't think I'm by myself this week because I'm looking at two really incredible people who are certainly going to help me stand this episode. If not stand it, they'll help me stand through it and for it. And it's going to be very exciting. Oh, thank goodness that I can have some real support when I have to make decisions of what goes in this podcast and what comes out of it, and I couldn't be happier with the people that will help me decide. So tonight, we have an incredible featured guest with us. Maharat Rory Pickernese serves as the Executive Director of the Jewish Community Relations Council of St. Louis. She's one of the first graduates of Yeshivat Maharat, which is where I met her, a pioneering institution training Orthodox Jewish women to be spiritual leaders and halachic, that means Jewish legal authorities. She previously served as a member of the clergy team at Base Abraham Congregation, a modern Orthodox Jewish synagogue in University City, Missouri. Rory is also honored to serve as the rabbi-in-residence at Holy Communion Episcopal Church, chair of the Cabinet of Interfaith Partnership of Greater St. Louis, and a member of the Board of Trustees for the Parliament of the World's Religions. Do you have any free time? I, I don't know how. She's married to Russell Neese, a software engineer for Safaria, and I'm just going to put out there that he also helped create Pocket Torah, which is like a pretty great thing for people that wanted to know how to like sing trope or chant trope or lane trope. There are many people who are going to be angry with me about the verb that I just used, but hopefully you'll get over it. And they also have three children, one of whom I met when they were just a baby and had been just born. Rory, I'm so excited to have you on this show. And it's just in case anyone couldn't tell, Rory and I have been friends for a long, long time. So Rory, it's really fun to be with you in Zoom when we can't be in the same physical location. I'm so happy to be with you, Amanda. And this is super fun already. Incredible. And if that weren't enough, hear me out. Gabe Don, I love you. You know I love you. I thank you every week. But for our listeners at home, there's somebody else that we thank every week, and she is making her drinking and drushing tour with a twist debut tonight just for Rory. Rory said thank you for, like, you know, leaving it till now. But we are so excited to welcome Kate Griffin to the show. <laughs> Kate Griffin, our extraordinary editor who makes us sound so smart every week. Kate, I'm so stoked that you're here, and it's so fun to be able to see you face to face. 
It's so good to be here too. Thank you so much for having me. And it's nice to finally meet y'all. I I know, right? I feel like Gabe and Edan are going to be shocked and surprised. And listeners, we hope that you're excited to bring Kate into the conversation because we know that we are. And we're going to get started now. So I will admit it. I am not just being held up by two extraordinary women who are just kicking butt and taking names and nitzavim. Gabe may have also given me some written material for us to get through some sections today because life's been crazy, and when life gets crazy, you get by with a little help from your friends. That's a reference. I'm curious how many people will know what show that was the theme song for, but we'll find out. It'll be an adventure. We'll see if people, you know, post on the Facebook. Looking at you, Jason Plotkin. However, here is the Parsha Rundown, Ala Gabe, and this is the first time I'm reading it too, Rory, so get excited. So excited. All right, it's time to review the covenant. Who's covered by the covenant? The whole community is covered by the covenant, regardless of clan, class, craft, or corporeal composition. Nice alliteration, Gabe. I'm literally giving that compliment to you. You didn't write it for yourself. Gabe wrote this rundown and decided to make my life more difficult. That's how you know. Anyway, the covenant is for everyone, those present and not. So Egypt was bad, right? And the Exodus wasn't a whole lot better with all the walking and the plagues and the thirst and the battles. All that bad stuff might make you tempted to turn your back on God. But hey, don't. Whole tribes will be wiped out in punishment and future generations will say, what's up with that? To which the response will be, they should have kept the covenant. So do that. Keep the covenant. This covenant, it's a blessing. It's a curse. I think we've heard that before. He will be exiled among the nations and eventually return to the promised land. The Israelites must turn back to God and observe the commandments, and then all the good promises will be restored with bonus prosperity and general good stuff. Sounds relevant to the high holy days with all the repentance and returning stuff. Hmm. Now, let's be real. All of this isn't too hard. We got a very clear 10-step plan from God. Sure, we've added some things along the way, but you can do it, right? It isn't in the heavens or across the ocean, but it's very close to you. No, scratch that. It's actually inside of you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Don't forget, they weren't wearing masks at that point. That joke was mine and not Gabe's. The whole covenant is a choice. Life and prosperity or death and adversity. Seems like a pretty easy choice, right? So hold up your end of the deal, follow the commandments, and generally be a good person. If you don't, shocking, death. So choose life, choose the commandments, and choose God. Okay? This was the promise that was made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, just as the covenant was made with all of the people of Israel, even beyond those present at Sinai, God's covenant with the ancestors never expired. We still have the opportunity for redemption. And that's Parshat Nitzavim. That was quite a mouthful. Can't believe you got all that in in such a short amount of time. Yeah, once upon a time, we thought that Gabe could do it in 30 seconds, and then it became a fourth wall joke that he would never get it done in 30 seconds, and I know that I definitely didn't get it done in 30 seconds, but, like, in magical time that we made up, like, Kate, that was, like, 30 seconds, right? Yeah. Great. If the editor said it was 30 (laughs) seconds, then it was definitely 30 seconds. It'll be edited to be 30 seconds. That felt like 30 seconds. I, I mean, you know, you just took, like, a whole bunch of super intense topics and just nailed it down fast kind of like in the high holy days yeah basically yeah you know it's fine listen things are difficult and here god's actually saying it's not that hard he is literally god is literally saying 
it's not that difficult. It's not that far from you. You've got this and you've internalized it. God is literally saying you've internalized it. Stop externally processing. Stop pushing it outward. It's in you. Which is like where we all are constantly, right? That God's like, you already know the answer to this. And we're like, but do we? Maybe we should second guess. I feel like my gut's telling me one thing, but I'm not sure if I should listen to it or not. And so God's basically like, yeah, stop the internal monologue. Just do it. Ooh, is that where Nike got it from? Obviously. All right, Rory, we've had the conversation. We we understand what the Torah portion is. We get that, like, we've kind of internalized it and we're trying to, you know, now do the thing. But some of us might not understand what the thing it is that you do is. And so you're the executive director of the thing. But the thing that I'm talking about in this moment is the Jewish Community Relations Council of St. Louis. For those that might not be in the know, and, and I'm not saying that I'm one of those people, but what if I were? What exactly is the Jewish Community Relations Council and, and what does it do? It's a great question. And I still try to figure that out every day. Um, but the JCRC, as we like to call it, is um, we're part of a network of other JCRCs. So depending on where you're listening from, you may have a JCRC in your own community. We are one of 125 JCRCs across the country, although we do operate independently of one another. And essentially, JCRCs are tasked with being the outward facing arm of the Jewish community. And we're responsible for building relationships with other religious, ethnic, civic, and political people and groups. And then we work together with those groups on issues that are important to the Jewish community and oftentimes issues that are important to the region at large. So in short, I'm the one who's supposed to help other people know who Jews are and then do really cool stuff together. Do really cool stuff together? Like what? Depends on what's important to the other communities, but that can turn into advocacy at the state capitol or advocacy on the federal level. It can turn into social justice projects. It can turn into um, local regional projects, anything from art projects to cleaning up a park to volunteering at a soup kitchen to whatever it might mean. Um, all of those are just places where the Jewish community is really passionate and where we realize that working in partnership with others strengthens our Jewish community and strengthens everyone that lives with us. I'm really glad to hear you say that, mostly because I think that one of the things that sometimes the Jewish community doesn't think about or, or doesn't realize is how many voices, both within and without the Jewish community, get left out of the narrative. Um, and, and because they get left out of the narrative, they often get left out of the action or the, the next movement. And so here, one of the things I really appreciate about in, in Nitzavim is that in Deuteronomy 29, we talk about all the people who are standing there and, and we have like a whole list of people that you would expect to be there, right? You're going to expect the tribal heads. You're going to expect the elders. You're going to expect the officials. You're going to expect the people who have property, right? Like those were the people who counted, but wait a minute, you also have the children and the women and the strangers or what they might call the resident alien at that point. You have woodchoppers to water drawers, which by the way, like I have to assume are kind of, you know, like middle level jobs, right? Like people who are like hard workers, like middle class people, lower class, higher class, you know, like it seems like everybody, regardless of, of, what they do and who they are are being brought in to enter into the covenant. 
And then I thought about this in this like really incredible thing is they're being brought in to be established into this really beautiful covenantal community with God. But then in this really incredible moment, it says, right, Velo itchem levadechem anochi koret et habrit hazot, that I'm not making this covenant with you alone. I'm not doing this specifically only for you that are standing here today, but also for people that aren't here today. Meaning, you know, for some people, they look at it as like a, a temporal issue that like for those of us who are in this modern 2022, that we also stood at Sinai. Um, and for those, I also think about people who may not have been able to stand physically at the mountain. Um, people who may have been sick, people who may not have been able to make the trek, people who had the best intentions, but like, you know, overslept that day. It happens. It's rough. We've all been there. Right? I mean, people who got thirsty, people who got hangry, people who like just got lost. Hi, it's me. I get lost. I have no sense of direction. Like, I'd probably be like, what mountain? And they'd be like, the one that's right there. And I'd be like, where? Remember, it was a small mountain. I mean, you could miss it. Right? Like, I mean, maybe, probably not. I don't know. But they wandered for 40 years, so it couldn't have been that big. You know, and, and so I think what you do is important because it, it reminds us that there are people that we may not be thinking of, you know, the people who go forward and take action, even if those people aren't taking the lead, they're still part of the program. They're still part of the story. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I love Amanda. This is like, we've been talking, like, I, I haven't spoken to you in so long. And yet, like, I feel like we're just on the total same wavelength, because that was the exact same section that jumped out at me when I was reviewing this Torah portion. Um, for every reason that you just said, I mean, a big part of the work that I do is trying to say, how do we elevate all of the voices, the voices within our Jewish community and the voices that are not within our Jewish community, but not necessarily the voices that are constantly being heard and the power of elevating those voices through coming together. So you're going to have smaller communities that don't know how to advocate as much. But when the Jewish community comes together and we bring in other coalition partners well, suddenly it's a whole different ballgame when we show up, you know, we'll go to politicians offices with a wide interfaith representation. And we've sat in front of senators and said, listen, there is really very little that we all agree on except this one thing. And so we need you to hear us on this. And it doesn't always get us where we're trying to go, but they listen. And I have to believe that we're moving things forward a bit more. You know, it's it's really interesting. And, and we have these whenever we have guests on, as you know, like we send guiding questions because we like to give you some things to think about before you hop on. And, you know, look, I might be spoiled. I know some of the things that drive the passion that you do. And, and some of that is real actual social change that you want to make a difference, not only in the community around you, but in the world around you. And I think that's interesting because I wonder in this portion, you know, there's a conversation about standing strong, right? Like to be able to kind of stand when we say a time needs that you'll all stand it really means like you know mountain pose ironically sorry that it didn't mean for that pun to come out but it did but like really like strong stance stand and i think one of the challenges for that is that we have this moment in here where it says right you may have thought that egypt was like an okay place in your heart you might like go back there Right. And you might want to go back there. 
And what I find a lot, Rory, and I, I am curious, especially as somebody who's done so much social change work in St. Louis, as you have, I find that communities often mistakenly get stuck in the nostalgia of the good old days. Mm-hmm. You know, and as Billy Joel said, the good old days weren't always good and tomorrow's not as bad as it seems. You know, but I think my question for you is, though I'm saying it badly, I won't make it edit it, but like, it's fine. Um is how do you help persuade people that this nostalgia doesn't help us move forward and that, in fact, it actually might make us fall down from the stance that we're trying to take together? So it's a really good question, and I think it's something that is really challenging for all of us and and for so many reasons. But I think in part, so many of the people who are in control of the narrative or people who have these loud voices in the community or or the voices that people are hearing. They might not even be the loudest, but somehow they have the microphone. Oftentimes those people, they'll look back at these stories and they'll say, well, we were fine. And it's really hard to say, yeah, you were fine. Like, let's let's put an emphasis on that. Right. And and this is a, you know, causation correlation is the fact that they were fine the reason why now they have the microphone or the reason why they now are able to tell the story? There's a lot more sociologists and political scientists who can unpack all of those pieces. But really frequently, when we go through these massive situations of social change, the people who emerge victorious are the ones who then look back and say, you know, that actually worked out really well. And the people who got left behind in those are not the people whose voices we're really hearing. And so part of what we try to do is tell stories. I mean, I think, look, what's more Jewish than telling stories? That's what that's what Moses is doing right now throughout Deuteronomy, right? We're in the midst of him just saying to the people, before you go into the land of Israel, let me remind you, I'm going to remind you of some of the things that you might remember, and I'm going to remind you of some of the things that you did not live through, but your parents lived through. But if you don't know these stories, you're going to screw up big when you go in, right? We have to tell the stories. And so we have to tell the stories of all the people, right? This is going back to exactly what you were talking about, Amanda, right? All the people who were with us, because it wasn't only the people who were strong and able to walk up the mountain. It included the people who were feeling really weak, the people who weren't strong enough, the people who didn't have a trade, the people who are uneducated, the people who are whinier, the people who are more sickly, the people who are taking care of children, the people... Fill in the gaps of any one of those, right? Like, it's a powerful scene that the Torah is saying everyone was there. You might think, I mean, these people, but I'm going to tell you again and again, every single person was there to keep reminding us that if you don't know their story, then you've got to find that story. And so I think the Torah has taught us the power of storytelling. And that's who we try to be as Jews is to say, let's keep hearing those stories. Who are the people who... Right. Look, you know, we're talking about like the pandemic. Right. And people are going to talk about that. And all the people who are telling the stories of this pandemic are those of us who have lived. And so many people didn't. And so they don't get to tell their stories of here's what it was for me to go through and not go through this pandemic. Right. Like many of us are lucky to come out the other side. Many of us have lost people along the way. But how do we carry those stories to say you can't just look back and say, like, Like if we looked back at the past few years and said, well, that wasn't so bad. We survived. It's it's just it's false because, I mean, we did. We survived. But because we're the only ones who are left to tell the story of it. 
So that's a responsibility to make the choice of what stories we tell. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that. And I, I really appreciate the the take on it. So there's a line that I feel like never gets a ton of attention because when Reform Jews take Nitzavim as, as their portion for Yom Kippur morning, and most have changed their readings on Yom Kippur morning to be from Parsha Nitzavim, they actually skip the end of chapter 29 and like they do a little bit of 29 and they do like a little bit of chapter 30. And the last line in Deuteronomy 29, I think speaks to what you're saying, Rory. I, th- I think that it, it's a powerful line. And the line itself says, Hanistart Ladonai Eloheinu v'hagniglot lanu olvanenu. And it's like literally like very emphasized for people that look this up, all those little diamonds that you see on Safaria, shout out Russell. Like, you know, the reason it's there is because the master rights, like they really decided that they wanted to emphasize, you know, lanu ovanenu, us and our children. Now, I get it. I just spoke a lot of Hebrew. Calm down, listeners. I got you. It's going to be fine. What it says is like the things that we hide right? Like things that like we kind of do that like we're like on the DL that we like try to hide, like those things, like, okay, like they're going to be revealed to God, right? Like, like God will know that those things are going to happen. Um, but for like the things that are, are really like out in the open for the things that like we like are really showing to the world, that's on us, right? This idea of Lanu Ulvanenu. It's on us and our children. And for those of us that don't have children, it, that just means future generations. Uh, you know, it's it's a secret talk. Um, forever to like continue out these stories. La asot el Torah hazot. Now you could say, yeah, to do all of the mitzvot of the of the Torah if you want to, or if you take kind of some of Rory's statement of like, you know, it's on us to, to tell the stories and share the stories of not only our stories, but those who aren't here to tell their stories, this idea of it's on us to enact and embody all of the words that come out of the story, which means everybody's stories that come in and maybe some of those narratives that get left out. Yeah, I I, I love your reading of it. And it actually goes to, um, there's a Midrash. So you referenced it before in many ways, Amanda, when you were saying that um, for, for so many of the people, when it says all of the people, the Midrash says, Famously, um, everyone, even who was future to be born, was their soul was at Sinai, right? I, I was at Sinai, you were at Sinai, Kate, you were at right, like we were all at Sinai. The listeners here were all at Sinai. And so that's the that's like the the kind of known cute midrash. But the midrash actually is this incredibly radical midrash that continues to go further, in which it says not only is everyone at Sinai, but that everyone was given a portion of Torah at Sinai. Everyone was given a personal portion of Torah at Sinai. And it first starts with the prophets. It says all prophecy was given at Sinai, but it was not until that prophet in the future was to be born that the prophecy was given permission to be manifest in the world, right? It already existed. My words might not really be so great because this, this, kind of celestial entity, however we're going to understand this, right? But like somehow God put it into the world, but it couldn't be like fully actualized until Jeremiah, Micah, Malachi, whoever it was, like came along. And that was when suddenly it it was given permission to be spoken out loud. And then they continue in the Midrash and they say not only the prophets, but also all of the rabbis. 
which first of all, I think is like bold move rabbis to say that like the Torah you're teaching was actually given by God at Sinai. Way to affirm yourself. Like great job. But in fact, that's true. And it's saying something incredibly profound, right? Like this idea that like Amanda, your Torah was given at Sinai, but it was waiting until this moment, right? My Torah, Kate's Torah, like that, that there was Torah that was given at Sinai and it was waiting until this date, until this podcast was dropped for this to be in the world, right? That, that like it needed us. It needed not only like me and my physical manifestation, but it also needed me in the context of living in the year 2022 of the experiences that I've had, right? Like what are, what is the Torah that only I can release because of the experiences that I've had. This is actually the speech that I gave at my graduation, right? Talking about women's leadership in the Orthodox community. Like for so many years, there was Torah that was given that was earmarked for these women that wasn't allowed to be released until suddenly, finally, people were coming along saying, we need more women doing this Torah. But we still have that in the community, right? People who just are going to see the Torah differently because, um, of, of their unique experiences that for too long we in the Jewish community have been shutting down. And we're talking about it more, and then there's always more we're learning about. And so um, queer Torah and disability Torah and so many other, I, I'm not going to start listing all of them because I'm going to do an injustice by not naming and somebody's going to write on your Facebook page mad at me about it, right? But like there's all these new Torahs that because Individuals with these experiences were not the ones who were welcomed into the elite of the kind of ivory tower of Torah study. Nobody was reading this section and saying, hey, wait a minute. Like, are we are we looking at this to say, what about the moms with young kids that are lagging behind? Because if you don't have a mom with young kids reading this, then who's the person bringing up that experience? And who's the one challenging us like you did, Amanda, to say, what does it mean for people to be standing until you have some people who... They're, they don't stand, right? Like physically, they don't stand. And so their way of, of, of being present in a space is not using the word standing, right? Like all of these ways in which we have to be challenged. And, and all of those stories like only get brought in. I think the Midrash is saying not just that it's our job to, to kind of find these stories, but it's actually saying we needed you. And for me, part of that is saying, we need every single person. So I can study all the Torah that I can devote my life to, but there's a portion of Torah that you have, Amanda, that I could never unlock. And if you're not part of my conversation, I'm never going to access that Torah. And if our Jewish community is not welcoming those people or giving those people a space to both unlock for themselves and then to share with the world, then that Torah can be lost forever. I'm laughing because our audience can't see Kate like very vigorously nodding her head yes and getting excited that she has her own Torah. Um, but I, I love that you have your own Torah, Kate. It's exciting to like see you engage. Um, look, like this portion in itself is is tricky, right? Because it, it has a lot of physicality and it has a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of opposition in this Torah right? Blessing and curse and curse and blessing and life and death and choose life. And, you know, for umpteen years, and I like probably shouldn't say that, but really for umpteen years, I, I lay in this portion for the last reading for Temple Bethel in Spring Valley, New York. And then, you know, last year at, at Shari Tefila, like I, I lay in three verses of this portion. And when I say lay in, that means uh, I chanted at Yom Kippur. And for me, like, 
I always started something where I was like, he got it, he la him, how you own. Like, I'ma tell you. I'ma tell you today, right? What's gonna happen? And it doesn't start great, just letting you know. Like that first sentence doesn't go so well for us because basically God's like, hey, like I'ma tell you that like you're gonna die if you don't do the thing. And then what's really incredible is Moses brings in, or maybe God brings in through Moses. Like, this idea of calling heaven and earth to witness against us, like, you know, on the same day. And, and says, I've put I've put before you life and death, so okay, you know, that's fine. I guess it's God and Moses together. And what's really fascinating is not in our next portion, which is Vayelech, but in Hazinu, like, which will come up sooner enough, you know, Moses calls heaven and earth to be witnesses. And and so heaven and earth are, are getting their, their, you know, jury duty, like, really put to work... But I think it's really interesting because here we have a really important line. Um, and, and the line is one that, that's been important. And Rory actually knows that this is a line that I have on my gender, which is a, a piece of wood that I I put uh, holy books on. And the line is, means choose life if you would live right? Choose life basically in order that you might live. And Rory, to your point of this idea that the Torah is here for who we are and what we bring to it at this moment, you know, this choice of choosing life, like what does that look like for us? We have to choose a life that we're going to want to live. You know, we're if we're creating the stories and we're creating the choices, like that's a powerful moment to, yes, make a choice that we're going to make there's more to the sentence. It's not just uvacharta b'chayim l'mantichye. It's uvacharta b'chayim l'mantichye ata vizarecha. That it's not just you that you're bringing along into this life, but it's everybody that comes after you. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of weight. Every once in a while, I stop to think about it. And and every time it blows my mind. Like it, it blows my mind that we live in this world in which we have, I want to say almost, but I mean, really like almost unlimited power. I mean, the amount of power that we as humans have in this world astounds me, right? I mean, if you just, if you think about the model that the Torah gives and, and you know, this vision of a relationship with God that is in, in many ways and in many instances, like a parent-child relationship, right? So as a parent of not so young right now, but it feels like not too long ago, young children, you want your kids to feel really engaged in the process, but oftentimes like you're faking it, right? So you're like, oh yeah, do you, right? So like, okay, the kids want to help me bake. Okay, I'm going to measure out the cup of flour and then you can like turn the cup once I've already confirmed that I have accurately measured out, right? But I've already taken out the flour, taken out the measuring cup, made sure to scoop it, made sure it's properly, and then I'm letting you pour it in, right? I'm not letting you choose what the ingredients or whatever, right? Like maybe, you know, you think about like someone hammering a nail into wood and maybe you'll let them hold the hammer and kind of tap it in, but you're holding the nail and you're choosing where the nail goes. And now we have this situation where God, I mean, God has said over and over, like I'm giving the world over to you, 
humanity. Like I have created this world for you. And God basically steps out. God, I mean, I don't mean to say it as like God totally absent, but God is like, I'm going to be over here and I'm going to be watching and like, call me if you need me. And I'm happy to chat, but I'm not going to necess- I'm not going to step in and fix it. Right. Like I used to do some of that stuff, like back in the days of Noah, like I did a restart for you, but that's not how this is going to go anymore. And, and what's really profound here is that the people have been going through the desert, as you said, for 40 years, God's been taking care of their every need. So food every day coming from heaven, fire to lead you, clouds to protect you. Like you complain about water, I'm going to miraculously make it suddenly appear, right? God is doing everything for the people. And now they're standing on the brink of going into the land of Israel. And the message that both Moses and I think God, as you said, kind of via Moses, is trying to give the people is saying, you need to understand that actually you have free will in the world. And when I say you have free will, I don't mean like, we're going to the library and you get to pick which book you want. And if you don't like your choice next week, we're going back and you can return it and take the other book, right? Like there's real consequences. If you destroy this world, I'm not going to come and fix it. And the generations after you are going to be suffering for it. If you start a war, people are going to die and I'm not going to just bring them back to life. If you let people become impoverished, their children will grow up hungry and you're the person that can fix it, right? I mean, there's there's this sense of like, on one level, it's about, you know, are you choosing to follow the commandments? But I think really deeply, God is saying, you literally have life and death in your hands, right? Like that's the part that blows my mind. Like God who creates humanity, who has control over life and death, then lets us kill people. Like you'd think there would be some parts of the blueprint that God's like, listen, you can like play with the pieces, but like, don't go behind the curtain, right? God doesn't. God is like, you can actually kill people. We know how to create mass diseases. We know how to destroy the planet, not even just once, but many more times than is even necessary, right? Like we have all of that power. And God is basically like, yes, that's yours. That's the choice that you get to make. And I think exactly like you said, right? Like whatever you do, there's consequences. This isn't like a video game where if you go through all three of your lives, like you get to just press restart, right? Like whatever you do to this game, that's what your children get. And that's what they're starting at. And so I I, I keep repeating it because like sometimes I can't wrap my head around it. Like we're not just like, like playing around on a playground of a structure that's already been formulated for us. Like we get to change and transform the world and we get to do it for good and we get to do it for bad. I mean, I, we look, the flip side of it is like to not just be negative about this. We also, we, I didn't have anything to do with it, but we as humanity had a vaccine before scientists thought would be possible when COVID first started, right? Like we also have kept people alive from diseases that would have killed them not even 10 years ago, right? Like we've made huge scientific advancements. We are keeping people alive. We are helping people be born who never would have been born before. And we also know how to kill people more than we ever knew how to kill people before. And so, yeah, literally we have life and death in our hands. And that's what God's saying. Right. I agree with you that I think that we have a tremendous amount of power. And I think that one of the the major things about this particular Parsha that maybe isn't so easily seen, um, and this is going to be my hot take, is that I'm going to introduce a concept that my mother introduced to me through my grandmother, which is, don't tell me you love me, show me you love me. 
And in this particular portion of, of Nitzavim, it really sounds like God is kind of putting forth a message to the people. I mean, and don't get me wrong, like, there's literally a statement saying, say, like, you'll love God with all of your heart and soul. So, like, it's not really out of left field. But, you know, I do think that God's message in this, in choosing life and in making these decisions and in ensuring that everybody uh, is included in this community is to say, enough, it's good already. Like, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. And here's how you can do that. And it's a pretty powerful message. And I know that that you've shared so much and, and so beautifully today. But I got to ask you, and it's my it's one of our favorite questions to ask on this podcast, that if you had the opportunity to give one message to our listeners that you'd want them to know or or be able to think of once they're done listening to this episode, like, what would your message be? You know, if, if God is saying, don't don't tell me, let me show me, what message would you hope that they would walk away with for this Parsha? Or that you want to just share with them in general from Rory? I think the message that I want everyone to take away is really the combination of, of everything we've been talking about, which is that I want everyone to remember that they have power. They have power. Everyone has power. And every one of us has a portion. We all have a portion of Torah. Like we all have something to contribute in this world. And that the change that we're going to see in this world comes from every single one of us. And that's that also goes back to the first question of what it is that I do and, and why I do the work that I do at the JCRC. Because decisions can't only remain in the hands of a few loud voices. And when everybody starts to sit it out and say, well, my voice isn't going to matter or I don't make a difference, right? That's where Parshat Nitzavim comes in. That's where this Midrash, that's where all of it says, no, actually, there is something that only you can say. And the world's going to be different because you've said it and because you've done the work. And so I just hope that everybody leaves this podcast knowing that there is something that the world is waiting for them for, and we need it, and we need it now. Hey, Kate. Hey, Amanda. Wow, it's almost like Gabe is here. (laughs) I know. But hold on, you did that so well. And so I, I know, I get it. Like you're you're standing in for Idan and you're standing in for Gabe. And and we've already talked about the standing importance of the word to stand, right? Like this idea of Nitzavim that we're standing together. And so Kate, uh, quick question. Yeah, what's up? Not putting you on the spot whatsoever, but how would you feel about just doing one extra job for this particular episode? <sighs> you know, I think I think I'd be down. Okay. I'm thrilled and I'm going to take the yes, but if you had needed more convincing, I was just going to let you know that that Rory is really curious and, and is starting to get like very expectant about her, you know, Midrashic mixology section and and she's a Maharat, so let's be real, like she's going to know if we're messing around with this mixology section. Okay, okay, I got this. I got this. I believe in you. All right, for this week's Midrashic mixology, we have the Sinai Sunrise. The covenant was made with everyone, those present at the Sinai and beyond, which means we're a part of it. What was it like to stand at Sinai with the light of God shining down with rays of light surrounding Moses? Well, there's a drink for that. We'll start with the darkness of the curses that will befall the people should they break the covenant, storing together half an ounce of creme de cassis and a fourth of an ounce of grenadine. Grenadine? That's made with pomegranates, which symbolize the mitzvah. Gabe is so smart. 
For a non-alcoholic version, use a half an ounce of black currant syrup and a fourth of an ounce pomegranate syrup. Gabe's girlfriend and drinking and joshing superfan Lindsay brought some pomegranate molasses back from her trip to Jordan. That would be perfect! Fill up the glass with crushed ice, which will make it kind of resemble a snow cone with the dark reddish purple color creeping up the ice. Now we have to get to the blessings. So let's get one and a half ounces of white tequila and a half an ounce lemon juice on top. For a non-alcoholic version, swap out the tequila with lemon seltzer. Give the drink a straw and refreshing mint sprig and you're ready to go. You know, Gabe really thought this one through. <laughs> yes, you did, Gabe. The color of the cassis and grenadine suggest those are the curses, but that's the sweet part of the drink. And the tequila and lemon juice are light and pure looking, but they pack a punch. I guess it goes to show that the covenant really is a mixed bag. A blessing and a curse all rolled into one. This drink is sure to get your taste buds going, and it's really not that difficult. It's not in the heavens or beyond the sea, but very close to you, in your heart, and soon, on your lips. L'chaim. Did I roast Gabe enough? <laughs> I don't think I really did. It sounds delicious, although I do have to now make a trip to the grocery store to get a few new ingredients. All the more exciting, right? I also really appreciated how you uh, started off by saying, written by Gabe, delivered by you, and then you're like, Gabe is so smart. <laughs> Gabe really thought this one through. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, did you add that to the writing? No, I did not. Oh, but you delivered it really well. Like, incredibly beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's almost as if you had said, Kate is so good at Midrashic mixology. <laughs> Kate is such a good featured guest. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, Rory, we're thrilled that you're excited about your, your Sinai sunrise, or as Kate said really beautifully in the Hebraic way, Sinai sunrise, which like is really beautiful and lovely. Um, and we're sorry that we've added an extra grocery trip to your, you know, already busy day, but we hope that you'll appreciate it. I mean, grocery trip, liquor store trip, but we can all use one. <laughs> Pull quote. <laughs> I agree. Gabe is so smart and Kate, you are an excellent you know voiceover artist and rory you are so impressive and i'm here to tell everybody that we're in our last section which is thank yous and closing cues and so rory kate and nitzavim we speak to the importance of standing strong right in the choices that we make we have these choices that seem like really easy and really just there but gabe actually says you know it might be a little bit more complicated and so for people like me right what's one piece of advice you might have for me, or for those of us who have trouble making decisions, or for those of us who might second-guess ourselves, even if the choice seems really easy. Rory, we'll start with you. I think it's really important to remember that choices are not only dichotomies. Even though this Parsha talks about them in terms of dichotomies, I think this Parsha still recognizes that there's massive subcategories within these really broad categories. And so, when we have to make a choice, oftentimes it's not like one thing is going to be the good thing for us and one thing is going to be bad. They're just two different paths that we're choosing to take, and they're both going to be what we make of them. So I think as hard as it is not to second guess ourselves, I think we need to remember that we're the ones that are in control. We're the ones who get to shape what we want our future to look like. And we get to constantly reshape it as we go. As I keep saying, we have the power in all of this. And so um, we make choices. We might stumble along the way. But we never backtrack. 
we adjust, we twist, we turn a little bit, um, and we make it what we want it to be. And when it doesn't always go that way, as you said, Amanda, we get by with a little help from our friends. For those who have been playing at home, that was a theme song for The Wonder Years. That's right. The Wonder Years. Uh, no, Roy, I mean, look, like th- this episode couldn't have gone by without help from both you and Kate. And so, Kate, I-, I would love to follow up with you. What are you thinking about, you know, how we can stand strong in the choices we make, especially if we're kind of struggling with, you know, not second guessing? Yeah, um, I think everything Roy said about the it's not a dichotomy is something that I really agree with. And also, um, I just think it's really about staying in tune with yourself and trusting trusting your gut, like being aware of who you are as a person, what your core values are. If you tune in with that, with whatever decision comes up, you really can't, like, you know, things might not go the way you want, but you're staying true to yourself. And so whatever decision you make, you can have comfort in that and you don't need to beat yourself up to see, you know, whatever happens, happens in the future. We can only control what we can control within ourselves. Absolutely. Which I think for me actually leads to a weird uh, hot take part two. But to say, second guess yourself. If you second guess yourself, second guess yourself. But at some point after the second guess or the third guess or the 12th guess, uh, you know, Rory and God and apparently Nike all agree that at some point, like, you have to do the thing. Talking about the thing or thinking about the thing, it's a great start, but, like, you don't really start until you start to do the thing. Introspection is a great thing, but introspection is different than allowing yourself to get stuck in the decision itself. We should always be thinking about, are we on the path that we want to be and are we the people that we want to be? But you don't get to just stand still. We're always we're always moving. And if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. That's just the way that it is. And we're coming up on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I think that it's really significant that in our tradition, we have a specific time period that's designated for introspection. If you haven't thought about where you were this year compared to last year, and if you're heading in the right direction, well, guess what? The calendar's about to force you to because that's what the liturgy is all about. And we're going to set aside a whole bunch of time to do it. But I also think it's important that part of setting aside the time to do it is to say, yeah, we're going to give you these major holidays and we're going to give you a whole lot of time and words and language and imagery to really question this. And then we want you to get back to your life because Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur can't be every day. There's a reason why those holidays each happen once and then you get back to it. 100%. But speaking of getting back, we uh, we always have a good time when we get to have a conversation. And I would like to give that to other people who might want to continue in conversation with you and be able to, you know, try to reflect or try to understand maybe how to find their Torah or how to help shape a story or how to, you know, incorporate some real social change into their own communities. And so if people want to continue the conversation with you, how could they find or follow you? Well, I am on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Facebook just under my name, Rory Pickernice, and Twitter at Rory with an I, P-N. And those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Amazing. And special guest, Kate Griffin, (laughs) if people are trying to figure out what you do when they're not just automatically reading your bio at www.drinkingandrushing.com, how can they find or follow you? 
Yeah, so they can find me on my website. It's kategriffinsound at gmail.com, K-E-T-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-N sound at gmail.com, or honestly, Instagram is a good spot. It um, sounds like Kate, S-O-U-N-D-S, like, and then Kate. Amazing. For those of you that want to hire her, we like respect you, but also don't steal her, but also hire <laughs> her. She like does good work. Yes, please. <laughs> Rory and Kate, it's it's really been like an absolute pleasure to to be in this space with you and to be able to build something together, especially considering the crazy week it is for everyone else who are normally on these episodes. However, I do want to give a quick thank you to Gabe and Edon for helping take care of me when things were a little haywire for me. And I want to give them both shout outs on some pretty significant moments with them and, and for both their partners. So Mazel Tov to Edon and Mazel Tov to Gabe. And Mazel Tov to uh, Lindsay, who had a pretty big day today as well. And we're really, really excited to continue getting to work with everybody. Generally, it's a weird place because this is normally where I say thank you to Kate, who always makes us sound smarter than like we we do without her. But you're here. So I guess I'll just say again, uh, thanks, Kate, for editing and, and being incredible. We're really excited to continue working with you and having you as part of the Drinking and Drashing family. And for those that are listening in, again, it is literally Kate's de- debut on the show, and she did great, so give her some love. Uh, if you're interested in helping make sure that we pay Kate, because that's important, feel free to head over to www.drinkinganddressing.com and hit that support us button. You know, we are a, a small gig, but we're a great gig, and, and Kate likes us sometimes, most of the time, and generally when we pay her on time. And we are really excited to have all of you listening in, and stay tuned. We'll hit our conclusion coming up soon. So, Kate, I know that you may have been expecting more people in the the podcast partnership to show up today, but I have to tell you, it was a complete delight for me to get to work with you and Rory this episode. I've I've had so much fun. I've had so much fun, too, and I like that it was just the three of us. It was very nice. I did miss Gabe and Edan, though. That's good. I wouldn't want their feelings to be hurt. But I know f- you you were really excited to listen to Rory, and I, I watched you nodding your head a couple of times, so I'm curious, like, what in this particular episode stood out for you? Like, what did it make you think about? It made me think a lot about just, like, sorry, I'm kind of blanking. Um, <clears throat> what was I nodding my head about? Uh, uh, the thing she said about how Sometimes the people who hold the microphone after we all go through something traumatic or hard are often saying like, yeah, but we got through it. Yeah, but everything was going to be fine in the end. That really spoke to me because I think sometimes it is easy to say like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger sort of thing. Or like, you went through this hard thing, but it, it really strengthened you as a person or... It all worked out in the end. You know, I just think that that's really important to think about that, like, it was, like, acknowledging, no, it was still a hard thing. It's still something that you didn't, ha- you shouldn't have had to go through. And it wasn't something that was just, like, a moral test. Like, sometimes we just go through really hard things, and we can acknowledge that while also saying, yes, maybe I found strength in it or, it, like, helped a different part of myself, but it was still very hard. I hope that made sense. <laughs> I think it did. I, I, I think it did make sense. And I, I want to say, like, 
There was a piece that Rory spoke to a few times about this idea that we all have power, and I think that it's on all of us, and especially those of us who may have a platform like, say, a podcast, to truly and utterly empower other people to get their stories told and to lift up their voices. And and so I have to tell you, for, for those listening at home, this is a labor of love for us. We really do love doing it, and we really want to uplift as many voices and stories as we can. So I, I got to tell you, if you're interested in coming on as a guest, like, please shoot us an email at drinkinganddrashing at gmail.com or head to our website and fill out a, a guest interest form. We're always excited to learn about new people's stories and, and hear how Judaism or, you know, your relationship with Judaism has impacted you or changed. And it's always interesting to bring on new people and new perspectives. And I've got to tell you, like, it's not just us that get excited we have fans from all over the world and all over the country that are always telling us like how much they're learning each time they listen. Except you, Wyoming. We're looking for you, Wyoming. Come on, listen in. Kate Griffin won't be happy till we get Wyoming and we fill the whole country map. If you know somebody that lives in Wyoming, please call them. Tell them to listen to the show. We'd appreciate it. It'd be fun. That'd be such a nice gift to Kate, right? Please, Wyoming. Come on. But seriously, to go back to Rory... I, I honestly think that this ability to do good and cause social change only happens when we're able to remember that everybody has a piece of the story that they need to pick up and that everybody has the ability to use their voice to make a change and make a start. It's not always easy to take a stand. You know, for some of us, it, it takes a lot of effort and willpower and just nerve and it can be really hard. But I think that it matters, especially when we're saying this idea that it's on us and our future generations to make these choices, to live a life that's worth living, that we remember that we have the ability to do so and that by empowering others, by really ensuring that people feel the power that they have within them and giving them the strength to help them stand, you know, we have the ability to greatly influence the world. You're absolutely right, Amanda. And I think like the whole thing about everyone has their own story to tell. Like, we all should live our lives. Make Well, I try to live my life in the sense that, like, everyone you meet knows something you don't know. No matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, no matter how much you think you have in common or you think you might be different from them, I think it's really important to just listen to people with a totally open mind and understand that, like, each of us has something really unique to bring to the table repeat you know repeating what you said um and yeah everyone knows something that you don't know and by acknowledging that it will just bring us all closer together you know i think that's why maybe this portion talks so deeply about including so many people you know you have children and you have women and you have people who are there people who are not there you have tribal heads you have day laborers so i guess what i've got to say is from woodcutter to water drawer and especially for those in Wyoming, we lift our glasses to you because truly we wouldn't be here without your stories to help us keep going. So with that, we got to say it. Lechaim. Lechaim. and you're listening to Drinking and Drushing, Torah with a Twist. And we've come to the end of our episode, and I still haven't thought of something yet, 
But I promise you, when I do, it's going to be quick and it's going to be witty.